mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5 as we really move into the last section of this book. It's the last chapter. It's also the last section. And if you remember with me, we were told in our last, really the last verse, I don't know if 20 through 21 should not have been in chapter 5, but he says in this commandment in verse 21, we have from God that he who loves God loves his brother also. The word must is in italics. It's not in the original. It's just if you love God, you're going to love your brother. It's just a normal thing because what are we looking at here? Evidences of true salvation. You want to know whether you're truly following God in his spirit today. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. And you see the evidence that there's enough evidence to convict you if you were put on trial that you are being led by the spirit of God and not to sway of wickedness, which we're getting to. It's in this chapter. I promised you we would get to 1 John 5, 19, which is really, in so many ways, it's been my favorite verse and my running verse for 20 years. It's what's going on on the planet. There's the people of God and the people of the devil. 1 John 5, 19, I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. In other words, they're following wickedness, but we're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. And now I'm going to digress. I just wanted to touch upon it. I love that verse. I've been telling people to memorize it for years. But why, why would we have the evidence, the commandment, remember what commandment is? An authoritative prescription. Don't you, if your soul is sick, don't you need an authoritative prescription? Don't you need someone to take care of it? Don't you need the great physician to come and give you some medicine, the balm of Gilead? You need him to come and heal your soul. And we have a Savior who's done that. And he says, if you've really received this free gift, this Savior, this blood of Jesus, and you love God, well, why would I love God? He tells us in, in there in verse 19, he says, we love God because he first loved us. See, we have no capacity even though we're lost unless the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then we hear that conviction. We agree and say the same thing with God. And then because God first loved us and we believed it, we believe the witness and the testimony, he comes and lives in our heart and he gives us the capacity to love. Love in a real agape love, not in a selfish love where we love because we can get something gain something, have something, but we love because it's starting to become our character just like God is love. As we grow in God, we're going to grow in love. Now, these evidences are going to be clear, and you're going to see that it all flows from God. It all flows from 
God who first loved us, now we can become like God. Created in the image of God. Loving because God first loved us. Loving in an unconditional agape way. That doesn't, doesn't say, oh, I don't like them. I don't like them. But you love knowing what God can do in them. You love knowing what the blood of Jesus can accomplish in others. And you receive people where they're at. And he tells us that this authoritative prescription that we have from God is that if we say we love God, then we should love our brothers also. It's just a natural byproduct. Now, if you don't love others, you don't want to be around God's people, you don't want to be around His children, then you might want to check to see if you really love God. Because that would be checking to see if you're really saved. Because if the Spirit of God, God Himself, is living in your heart, and that's who you are now, positionally and beginning, beginning practically, then you should love others, not because of what they do, but because God first loved you. You should love others because you want to tell them about the gospel so that they can be saved from the same place you were going, hell. We were once sons of disobedience, meeting the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, who is love incarnate, and not changing the way we think and act and feel about people and about life in general is not a true introduction to the person of the Holy Spirit, to the person of God, to the blood of Jesus. And we have to be careful because the spirit of Antichrist has went out to deceive. God allows it. He puts you to the test. He's telling you about the evidence, and you need to look in your life. Wait, stop. I need help here. Am I doing this? by the power of the Holy Spirit that I've been called to do because of the blood of Jesus, or am I just showing up for church? Am I just continuing in the same thing that I've always done and said I have a head knowledge, but there's actually no transformation? Listen to me. The demons believe and they tremble because they know there's no salvation for them. There's lots of people that believe that Jesus is Lord. But is there evidence of new life? Is there evidence of God's presence in your heart? We need to be those witnesses. And this is what chapter 5 is going to be all about. Do we have life? If we have life, then there's a witness that we receive and a witness that we give. And as we give that witness and grow, we will grow in confidence because of Him. And we will come to see that you and you and you and maybe not you, but you, I'm not pointing at anybody, but I'm just saying, we will know the verse, 1 John 5, 19. I know you are of God because I see evidence of new life, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. We'll understand that we're standing in a battlefield. It's, it, it's a battleground, not a playground. Even though God's people seem to be playing and thinking that this is a game, It's not a game. It's, it's about your soul. It's about eternity. And yet we, we are so selfish, we can't even turn loose of our own desires, our own ways, and our own things 
in order to be led into heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. No, we're just like little children. Mine, mine, mine. I'm going to hold on to this life and lose my own soul. So chapter 5 opens up. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the repetition. Thank you for the uh, different ways that you have spoken to us about the evidences of new life, about the evidences of being a new creation in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you wake us up and help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the continued saving of the soul. We want to continue. We want to go onward and upward, Lord, with you. Wake us up and give us light this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, whoever, it's the same word in John 3, 16, whomsoever. It's going to be in the text in just these five verses three times. Everyone is the same word. Whoever is the same word. Uh, and then there's a third time. It's here. Where is that at? I'll give it to you when we find it. I'm not going to look for it. Whoever means everyone. It means that, that, that it's all-inclusive. Every person ever born can be one who believes because the witness is given by the Holy Spirit to everybody of sin and righteousness and judgment. Whoever believes, it means as many as or the whole. Anybody can do this because God died for the whole world. Believes is our word that we commonly call faith. It's the word pistio that we've talked about so many times. It comes from the word pistis. Pistio means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ. Pistis that it comes from means and have a constancy in that profession. In other words, and think about this for a minute, but we talk about this all the time, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, it's a confession that you make at this marriage ceremony that's going on. But the word confession means what? Profession. You profess to believe that truth. And it, it comes from a word that means to say the same thing that God says. And right here, we have the same thing. We have a constancy. See, we, the evidence of a new life is not just believing one time and saying one prayer, but there's a continuance. There's an abiding, a remaining, and, and a constancy in saying the same thing that God says because reproofs of correction are the way of life. And practically, He is making us more like Him. So when you see the instruction, when you read the Word, when you feel the conviction, you confess or agree with God, and you turn, and then he continues 
he continues to take out you and make you more like him. It's just a, it's a, simple, it's a simple equation. When you hear from God and we say, oh, I, I believe in God, I trust God, I love God. Then why does he say this about marriage and you do something different? The instruction of marriage, of husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid himself, or gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. And then why do we stand around and not do what God says? We're going to get to it. If you love me, keep my commandments. They're not burdensome. They're easy to do if you'll surrender because I'll do it for you. Oh, no, I do what marriage said. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Well, now, you know what? I believe God, and I love God, and I, and I know He died for me, but I'm not submitting to my husband. Really? Listen, how can we say we love God, receive instruction from God, from His Word, know His heart, and then say, no, God? He tells us about life, godliness, everything that's going on in his instruction book, these basic instructions before leaving earth, and we read it and we go on about our business like we never read it. We go on about our business and never agree with God, but we say that we are saved by God and we're really becoming conformed to the image of God when in fact we're ignoring God. He tells us that the early church got into the word prayer and fellowship. They spent time in communion. And that he added to the numbers daily those who are being saved. And the church in America, the church that we see, lives like atheists. That's more of the religion the church practices today. They don't read the word. They don't pray. They don't go to fellowship. They don't listen to God's instructions. That's what atheists do. That's what people that never believe. It doesn't matter what you say about God. It's what you're doing, what you're committing your life to. This is the whole point here, that your life becomes a witness with confidence because he's growing and living in you, and you go out and love even the unlovable. Listen, this is not for condemnation. This is for salvation. If you find this out in the throne room, you might get cast to hell. You might, oh my goodness, I've been living and putting my ladder against the wrong wall for how many years? When it's very clear in the Bible that the evidences are clear. And I can't do nothing except proclaim the truth of God's word. Whoever believes puts his trust, his spiritual well-being in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, the one that God provided as the Savior of the world. He's God's provision for the sin nature, God's provision for that which is sick in your soul that is separated from God, that His provision to bring you back under the authority of God's house, the Father 
who is always looking for ways to bring back his banished ones and take care of them and supply for them and get them across the finish line and get them to follow him, gave his only begotten son. And anyone who believes that Jesus is that Christ is born of God. Now, this is important. We've talked about it many times. If you're born once and just born of water, you're going to die twice. But if you have a spiritual birth and you're born of God, do you have the evidence of being born by God? Have you stopped loving the world and the things that are in the world, as John said in chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they are not of God, but they are of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust for it in a true believer if we're growing. These are evidences of a life that is changing. The things that you used to desire are fading away. It's all going to burn. It's all going to die. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that, that's the only way it's going to happen. There's no other way for it to happen. Have you been born of God? It's a spiritual God, spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual birth. It's, it's, it's been a spiritual plan of redemption since the beginning, long before Eve ever, in her selfish way, ignored her husband. Her husband ignored her. Both were going on in the garden. Adam was supposed to be laying his life down. He should have been protecting her from the serpent. But notice this. Everything about that was a selfish sin. Sin was selfishness. Eve, she noticed, she seen that it was good for food. Everything was about the lust of the flesh, the last of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. It was all about her. It wasn't about anybody else. And if our lives are all about ourselves and not about anybody else, then you can very well guess that you are still loving the world, following the world, listening to the world's systems, and you're only to sway the wicked one. Because the Holy Spirit makes you give yourself away as you grow. You see that your life is not important. You lay it down. You get off your throne. You begin to give to others. It's just a natural thing that happens with the new creation, the new nature, the new teacher and leader and guide who is living in you, God himself. Now listen, again, this is not for condemnation. This is for clarification that we would get up and say, Lord, what's going on at the heart of my Christian walk? I have no desire for your word. All I desire to do is go live for myself. I have no desire for prayer. I'm living like an atheist. I'm not living like somebody who is practicing righteousness and pursuing a life with you. I'm still pursuing everything down here. And this is what's important to me. It's what motivates me. What gets me up in the morning is to get to the world. Instead of go to the world, be privileged to be sent to be a witness of life. Than to live in confidence, not as a victim. Everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody's a victim. It's that man you gave me. It's that woman you gave me. It's that job you gave me. Quit blaming it on everybody and start living. He gave you life. 
You can have confidence in it. You can be a witness about it. Or you can continue to be a victim like the world wants you to be, like the devil and death culture wants you to be. We are not victims. We are overcomers. We are in victory. We're standing in the cross of Christ, in the victory of Christ, and we walk around like we're victims, and everybody else did something to me. What about the God who did something for you? What about the God who's given you everything in life? And you ignore him like an atheist. I'm sorry, that's, that's the truth. As I watch, as I look around, I do the same thing. I'm not picking on you. I'm talking about how the church lives like atheists. We don't read the word. We don't spend time with God. We don't pray and trust him. We don't enter into his promises. Or we wouldn't be walking around underneath the sway of the wicked one. We'll be walking around in confidence, being witnesses about a God who's coming back real soon to get the true church. We'd be telling people, stop worrying about that. Stop freaking out about that. Start planning about what's getting ready to happen. Start living your life like you believe Him in faith. Notice that's where He gets to. Notice He gets to. It's faith in, chapter, or in verse 4. Listen, let me, let me see if you've ever read this. Have you ever read Romans um, 14? Romans 14, 23b. Did I just get that wrong? Maybe. Let me see if I can find the book of Romans first. Romans. If you're looking for it, it's on page 2082. I wrote it down in my notes, but I didn't even look for it. For whatever is not from faith is sin. It's, it's an interesting verse. Whatever is not from faith is sin. If you're not walking by faith, being led by the author and the finisher of your faith, and walking according to the Spirit of God, everything that you're doing in the flesh is sin. If it's not from faith, if you're doing it by sight, this is how I'm living. I've seen that new poster hanging in the shop. I've seen that new newspaper clipping. I've seen what they said on TV. I'm doing it from sight. I'm doing it from what I can do with my resources. I'm doing it from the physical instead of by faith in God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, do you have evidence that you're born again? I know, I know what Greg Pastor said. If you walk up here to, the, to this little stage and you repeat after me, you'll be born again. You can receive that gift. Uh, listen, I know that somebody told you that. But do you want to know if you really believe? This is the evidence he's saying right here. That's what he's saying right here in this text. John is saying whoever believes, not whoever walks up to an altar and repeats after a pastor, whoever pistio that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Are you born of God? Does your life have evidence that you believe and you're trusting God and you're continuing to trust God? Are you begat of God? Well, one of the evidences that is, is that he who is born of God, what? Look what it says. And everyone who loves him who begat King James. In other words, everyone who loves God also agape owes him who is begotten of him. That's all the other children in your family. That's all the other children of God. All the other people who say they believe 
Now listen to me because this is very important because people are going to say, don't judge me, man. I was listening to Pastor the other day. I respect him a lot, like him a lot. And he's like, you can't judge. And I'm like, you missed the wrong Bible. You've got the wrong Bible. Because when I'm told about loving other children of God, I need to look at people and see, do I spend my time loving this person when they have no fruit of being a person of God? They have no fruit, so I'm wasting my time over here with somebody who's ignoring God, who's living like an atheist. I'm wasting my time pouring out my whole service to them, and the devil can keep you busy doing something that seems to be good, but it's religion if it's not based upon the leading of the Spirit by faith with wisdom. It's just religion. It's just your own works in the flesh because you're doing it because you think you're helping some poor soul who's pretending. There needs to be some movement forward of the person or why would you stand around and spend your time? I'm just telling you. We come up with classrooms and programs and everything to make disciples instead of the Spirit of God. Do you believe? If you believe, then let's go. Come on, we're in the army of the Lord. Let's get together. Let's go. We should be doing the same thing. If you have the same spirit I have, we're going in the same direction with the same constancy, reading the same Bible and saying, look what the world is doing. They're underneath the sway of the wicked one. Listen to me. I'm just telling you the consciousness of God. I always look at that word. Have you guys ever seen conscience? Your conscience is supposed to be right with God. You know what? Most people have been conned by science. That's what that word, that's how it's spelled, con science. And I used to be a con. You've been conned by the science of the world, and you're not listening to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes your conscience right with Him, and you can follow Him. You can go out with confidence. You can live this new life, and there's always going to be evidence that you're walking by faith. Read the Bible. Look in the Bible. Look at the people. They look like they were stupid. They look like they were dumb. They look like they were doing things contrary to the world. But they were actually living for God. Why are you going into the wilderness like that, Moses, with two and a half million people? Because God said to. That's why. Well, that's really crazy. How are you going to feed two and a half million people three times a day, Moses? You're not a good leader. I don't have to worry about that. God told me to go. He'll provide for all of my needs. I just have to worry about hearing his voice and going where he says and doing what he says and hearing the instruction and following. If I don't listen, I quench the spirit. Now I can't hear and I continue to be lost, but I think I'm doing okay religiously when I'm really dead spiritually, deceived spiritually. Here's an evidence. We love God. We keep His commandments. Here's an evidence. Because His Spirit's in us, we begin to love the people around us. We give grace and mercy. We become conduits of, vessels of grace and mercy. Let's go over to uh, John chapter 3. John kind of, um, it's, it's not First John, it's John the Gospel. Chapter 3. Jesus a spiritual leader comes to Jesus by night, Nicodemus. We call him Nicky. Listen to me. He uses the same word over here for born again. 
It's born the second time. Born of water, now you've got to be born of spirit. When you're born of water, you're born from the first Adam, and you inherit death from him, because that's all he's got to give is death. But when you listen to the second Adam, and you hear his voice, and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, now you inherit eternal life. You inherit a life that you can live now with confidence and boldness and be a witness, and it can have power and dynamic to it. 3.1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He didn't want people to know he came. He was a a Clairol Christian. Only the hairdresser knew. Never mind. Came by night. He came under cover of darkness. Are you coming under cover of darkness? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light, as 1 John told us before? Are you bold about it because you have confidence from it because you've been having a relationship with him? He came by night, and he said, Rabbi, we, so other people are talking with him, and now rumor is, or uh, history might tell us that most of the Pharisees got saved after Jesus rose. And you'll see the transition in the book of Acts from the Pharisees attacking to only the Sadducees attacking the church. Most of the Pharisees, not all of them, most of them actually believed afterward because they already believed in resurrection. They already believed in angels. And they were fair, you see. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in that stuff. And they were sad, you see. Such a terrible joke. But it might help you remember the two parties. He's a ruler. He's part of what is called the Sanhedrin, 70 ruling authorities with a high priest over them. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. See, even his enemies and those that opposed him knew that he was from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. How true. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, it's a spiritual birth, and then you have spiritual eyes to see a spiritual kingdom who's ruled by a spiritual God. But this is nothing but a spiritual book, or excuse me, it's a physical book if you don't have spiritual eyes. But it becomes alive and active for you when you have spiritual eyes to see the spiritual ramifications of life. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, there's no salvation for angels. But anybody that was born of water, that's all of us that are born from our mothers, and now we have the right to become children of God when we believe in His name, when we receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we can be born a second time of the Spirit. If not, there's no way to enter the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom. That which of born if excuse me, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Carnal. Dead. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you can see winds. You can even see winds when they're ferocious and they tear up whole cities with tornadoes. You can see winds when they just lightly blow a breeze on the trees. It's moving where it wishes. It's moving in all directions. And you can see the results, the evidence that there's a wind out there. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit if you're born of Spirit. There's going to be evidence. There's going to be fruit. You might not understand what God is doing now, but there's going to be evidence and there's going to be fruit. The Spirit is going to be working in your life if you're born of Spirit. You can't stop it. You don't have to understand it, but you should seek to know it. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, listen to what he says to him. Are you the teacher of those governed by God, Israel, and do not know these things? See, they're revealed in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Old Testament that God was coming. Most assuredly, I say to you, now notice this. This is probably a better text for next week when we talk about the witnesses of the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But notice what it says here. I say to you, we speak, capital we, and we know and testify that we have seen and you do not receive our witness. He's talking about the witness of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three that are working to redeem us together in tandem. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Jesus is perfectly the Son of Man, and he's the Son of God. And as Moses, now listen, because this is where I want to get you to. Are you born again? As Moses, notice what he gives us, Old Testament. He points to it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, no death, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn, to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, born again, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he did not believe in the name, the character, the nature, the authority, the power of God, of the only begotten Son of God. Listen, and I could keep going and keep going and keep going, but I want to get you to the point of God's provision of a Savior, the anointed, Jesus the Christ. And it's possible to be in a religious system and not know these things. It's possible to be the ruler of a religious system and miss these things because they live in the physical, chasing their own life, their own desires, their own dreams, and not listening to God. And what does he say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself later. Now, I want to take you to where this happened at. When Moses lifted up the serpent, it's in Numbers 21. 
Numbers 21. As the children of Israel are in the wilderness, 21.4, then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, Edom is Esau, and the soul of the people, what was it, the soul, not their spirit, it was the mind, will, and emotions. They were already delivered out of Egypt, it was in their soul, it was in their flesh that they grumbled. The soul of the people became very discouraged. Actually, King James says much discouraged. It means to grieve or to loathe or to mourn over the way life was. They didn't like going through the wilderness. They didn't like being nomadic. They began to desire to go back to Egypt for the leeks and the garlics and the onions. Even though they were in bondage, they liked it more that the government was providing for them. That they were having a meal every day. Instead of walking by faith and trusting God through the wilderness, they began to groan and grumble and moan at the leaders and about God and what was going on. And they were not happy and they became discouraged and the people spoke against God, that's called blasphemy, and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt? To you and me, that's the world. That, to you and me, that's to give us salvation out of our death nature into life, to die in the wilderness. See, this is the way you might feel if you're not building a relationship with God. You'll blame all your problems, all everything going on on God because you think you're out here to be dying in the wilderness instead of following by faith to gain life to get to the promised land where you're going. You've got to go through some things to get to God. Through much suffering shall you enter the kingdom of God. But if you don't have a personal love relationship, trusting God by faith and continuing to follow Him and grow in agape love, grow in a relationship with God and be about His business, then you begin to blame God for everything. You begin to grumble and complain. It begins to be a, a loathsome life instead of a life of joy and peace. A life filled with the Holy Spirit. We're just here to die in the wilderness. This is no fun. I was, follow I was doing this bad when I was following myself. How about you're still following yourself? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes. Listen to this. Our soul, our mind, will, and emotion won't read the Word of God, won't spend time with God, won't be in fellowship, because my mind, will, and emotion is in love with the world, not this worthless bread. Are you kidding me? This worthless bread? We know in the New Testament this manna that came down in chapter 11 to provide for them was indeed Jesus the Christ. It's the bread of life. It was God's provision. And they're calling it worthless bread. That's the way we live. We blame everything on God instead of us not receiving the instruction of God. See, God is trying to correct us. God's trying to reprove us. God is making our path straight. God has given us His Spirit to teach us and guide us and lead us. And we say, nope, God, speak to the hand, not, not to me. I'm not following that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then we blame God about the wilderness. We blame God and call it worthless bread when all along we were following ourselves and not His instruction. All along we were saying no to God and living like atheists. And then we blame it on God. 
Listen, if you say no to what God's word said, you can't turn around next day and blame God that it turned out wrong. But guess what? If you choose to follow God's word and people say you're wrong and you get to the other side, you get a crown. You're going to make some decisions that don't look right, but they're always by faith for God. This is important stuff, guys and gals. It's hidden in the Old Testament to help us understand New Testament theology. Worthless bread? Are you kidding me? The sacrifice of Christ? That's what this bread is about. The, the God that come down from heaven. He said, no one has come down. But if I be lifted up, it's good, it's good. We got more. Come on, we got more. We get to repent. Come on, don't, 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 be, don't let me lose you. So the Lord sent, uh-oh, you know, the Lord can send some stuff. Listen, you don't want special delivery from God. You want to surrender to God and be led by God. You don't want him sending some stuff in order to chastise you and correct you. Here's the good news, though. They got their, they got their lesson. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel, those governed by God, died. Wow. Wow. But you know what it caused? Repentance. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Repentance. I changed my mind. For we have spoken against the Lord. Notice it's the Lord first. I didn't speak again. It's not, it's not Moses first. They know where the, they, they're, they're coming to their senses a little bit here. We spoke against the Lord. Yeah, that's called blasphemy. And against you, God's mouthpiece, God's leader. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses said, no, it was easier if I have a few less people out here. I'm going to let you all die. No, Moses, who always is putting his face in the sand. God said, step back, Moses. I'm going to kill every single one of them and start over with you. And he said, bam, and he ate sand. He said, Lord, help these people. Don't kill them. Then other people will see a witness and think you were able to bring them out of Egypt, but not to get them through the wilderness. See, God's capable of getting us to the other side. And God's people should be praying for each other because atheists don't pray. Atheists are not dependent upon God, but the people of God are dependent upon God and they should be praying for one another so that we can all get through this and get to the other side. We should be loving on one another this way by praying because God's the only one that can get the people beside you through this wilderness. God's the only one. You can tell them all day long how to do it, but God's the only one that can lead them out. And the great part is, is as they listen to God and have a relationship with God and God leads them out, they grow in their faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing the instruction of God, obeying the instruction of God. So they repented. And then they prayed. If you repent truly, you'll pray. Listen to me. God's people pray. They pray always. They pray without ceasing. They know where their help comes from. And then as you're praying and you see God working in your life, you go, who is this God? I got to get into the word and find out who this guy is. He's been doing this all along and I didn't know it. And listen to me, you can be a backslidden apostate Christian 
and God will hear a prayer of repentance. Or you can be a reprobate, world-tripping, cave-dwelling, pit-following, and if you repent, he'll hear your prayer. You turn, it's just one, here I am, Lord. He wants us to be dependent upon him. He's the father. Fathers are supposed to take care of houses. It's a patriarchal system that they're trying to tear down out there in death culture. I don't know if you guys have been hearing all about that rise. Everybody wants to rise. They want to rise up in power and destroy this patriarchal system that God has put authority in. I know you're like, I never heard none of that. That's what this is all about, attacking the church, attacking the God's word, attacking what God has set up and tearing down those foundations and building up their own foundations. And you know what's sad? They only end in death. You have no wisdom or counsel against God. You can't build any other system against God. If you don't follow God's system, the only thing you are is dead. If you don't believe in God's Messiah, you're dead. If you don't trust in God's ways and His instruction, you're dead. And you'll be cast into hell. It's that simple. There's nowhere else to turn. And remember, as I keep saying, if you turn from God, or excuse me, if you turn to something else, you're turning from God. Anytime you turn to somebody else for help, you're turning from God. Unless God has specifically said, go down to Assyria. Go with them. I'm punishing you. I'm chastising you. Don't look to Egypt for help. When you're following God's instruction and His Spirit is leading you to Assyria because He's going to punish you and chastise you for 70 years because you wasn't following His previous instruction, but He's promised that He would bring you back out and He would give you a hope in the future. He's just chastising you because He loves you. You can read about that in Isaiah 30 and 31. And God says, both Egypt and the horse and the chariot that helps, I will cast them down too. I'll destroy them. Don't go down there for help. Don't go down to the world for counsel. Don't go to Egypt and think that they're going to help you escape the punishment of God. Are you serious? Listen to me. These people... They admitted, they repented, and guess what happened? God gave them away a provision. Watch what it is. Let's look. Numbers 21, Moses prayed for the people. He steps in. He's a type of Christ here. He's interceding for the people. Lord, save them. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Isn't that interesting? So he didn't stop the serpents. You can still be bitten if you want to grumble and complain and blaspheme God. You can choose that life or you can choose. Here it is. They can live. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze serpent. Why is it bronze? Bronze is the metal of judgment. Sin is going to be judged here in this bronze serpent. It's a type of Christ being lifted up on the cross. That's why he said to Nikki, if I be lifted up, as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, 
that if he's lifted up, put it on a pole, and so it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now listen to me. It's God's provision for what they had done in their sin and the punishment that was just quite naturally there. He sent fiery serpents to continue to bite them. But what they have to choose to do in their own will, their own decision, their own flesh, their own mind. We got the spirit now to do it. They had to actually go, I got bit. I believe God. I trust him by faith. And I'm going to look at this bronze serpent. And then they would be allowed to live. But if they resisted in the hardness of their heart and they would not look at that bronze serpent, they would die. That's, wow, that's pretty amazing. But see, it's God's provision for the sin nature. And that's why we have to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When we look to Jesus as God's provision and we believe and trust with a constancy that Jesus is born of God and He's the Son of God and that He's what God provided, not the cross. He was lifted up on the cross. The, the salvation is because of His atoning blood, but it's also an act of your free will to look to God's provision. You have to keep looking to God's provision. You can't just look and go, all right, I get to go do what I want now. That's not life. If God loves you so much that he would put his only son on a cross and you looked to it and you believed it, why would you not want to love him? Why would you not want to go start loving others and tell them? That's the love, telling them. But they want us to be silent. The love is really to go be a witness and tell them. That's love because it's an action word. It's not a, I love those people. I've been praying for them for months. Go tell them. Before you die or they die, go tell them that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Give them a chance in their conscience to choose. Because right now they're choosing to be conned in science. But their conscience by the Holy Spirit, if he's ready to, can bring them alive and they can believe true science. God is the creator. He's the one created science. You can see him everywhere in the world. You can see the absence of him everywhere that he's not there, that people have kicked him out. Then you have shootings in the schools. You have all this craziness is when you kick God out of your system and you say, we're going to rule ourselves. You have no authority over us, God. And you ask him to leave, he'll leave. He's leaving our laws. He's leaving our government. And they're asking him to leave. They're exiting. Stage left. He's like, okay, I'll just stand here. I love you, though. I died for you. But if you're not going to look to me, you're choosing death. That's what's going on on the planet, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Transpistus. No law. No faith. Man, that's so cool. God provided a provision, and he said, he said, look at this bronze, at this judgment that happened. Same thing with you and me. If you look to the judgment that happened in the 40th chapter of the Bible, the 40th book, Matthew, gives us the testimony of Jesus the Christ coming and dying for the sins of the world. Judgment against sin. Judgment against death. You can have life if you look. Sounds like a great thing, huh? Look at 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18. We haven't even got there in our Bible study yet, but we're going to get there soon. I thought I was going somewhere else too. Huh. Maybe not. 
Chapter 18, Hezekiah becomes king. King of the Israel, which is what? Northern tribes. They're the apostate tribes. They're the ones worshiping golden calves. They're the ones walking in religion. What did he do first thing when he became king? Verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan, bronze stain. See, they began to worship the very thing that they weren't supposed to worship. They're worshiping the judgment. They're worshiping this gold thing that God said, look at it. He didn't say worship it. That's why you see people having a cross on their neck and all those things. We worship the cross. We're supposed to be worshiping God. We're not worshiping the the, the, the cross or or, or the Bible. or, or We're not worshiping these all these other relics. We worship God. The whole point is the devil wants us not to worship God, and he steals our worship and deceives us into following all these little relics and all these idols and all these other things as long as we don't worship God in spirit and truth. Listen, you know, it's really funny because with pharmacy going on and sorcery going on and pharmacy being witchcraft, if you actually look and go to the AMA, you can look it up, the American Medical Association, you will see that this is the symbol for their healing, a pole with snakes on it and wings. And actually, it's not that it's that great of a thing. It's been twisted into something that's a great thing. Listen to this. I got a picture of it right here. Hopefully. It's called the caduceus. C-A-D-U-C-E-U-S is the traditional symbol of Hermes. And features two snakes winding around and often winged staff. It is often used as a symbol of medicine, especially in the United States, despite its ancient and consistent associations with trade, Liars, thieves, eloquence, negotiation, alchemy, and earthly central demonic wisdom. Listen to me. It's no mistake that they're trying to deceive us with their pharmacy. It's all part of us worshiping false gods. It's all part of the devil scheming to take your mind and get you to worship something other than God himself, who's in spirit. And now you're led by the spirit. You're following by the spirit. You're receiving guide and instruction by the spirit. And the only way you can do it is by the power of the spirit. You can't do it in your own strength, in your own power. There's no way for you to agape love God or anybody else without the spirit of God. And the evidences are is that you love God is that you're loving others. You've forgotten about your own self because when you put self first, that's the same thing Eve did. That's the old nature. And you have to do this as an act of your will. You say, Lord, I see that I'm putting myself first. Would you please help me to stop with my desires and put Jesus first and then others and then bring yourself in there and you'll have joy. That's what that acrostic is, is Jesus, others, and yourself. But you're never going to have nothing but grumbling and loathsome. And you won't want the bread of life if you put yourself first. That's what Eve did. That's the old nature. 
When you put Jesus first and you say, that's good bread. That's the truth of God's word. I want that instruction. I like the manna that came down from heaven. I like God's provision because I know that if I will humble myself now in God's provision, I'm going to be rewarded later. Isn't that what Christ did? Hebrews chapter 12. He despised the shame, but now has sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he's now got the name above all names. By one day, every knee will bow. He has all authority and all power, but first he had to humble himself. He gives us an example. And if we're begotten of God and we believe him, then we believe that we follow his example. And the only way to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is a form of godliness that denies the power. And they go on making their own religion up. And they're worshiping Nintashtu, bronze stains. They're worshiping the very thought of judgment of sin. They're worshiping that very idea. They're worshiping the cross but not the God who hung on it and humbled himself to the point of death, who became sin for us, that, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's his plan, it's his way, by faith, not by sight, not by sight, not by sight. Where's the evidence of your being born again? begotten of God in the spirit can you see it by your love for others because you know that now you are a witness and you're supposed to lay your life down so others might come to know this God or are you still laying up treasures for yourself are you still pursuing your own life because you can hold on your life to the death they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony witness and they did not love their life to the death it's scripture. It's, it's such an irony. Such an irony when you see what, like, like Nike. That's where we get the word overcomer, conquerors, victory. Nike gets that. They make their entire world emblem just do it. God's saying just do it. He's saying, what are you doing in your salvation? Faith without works is dead faith. Are you following me? Do you have the power? Are you in the word, prayer, and fellowship? Or are you living like an atheist and just claiming to be a Christian? It's not even pronounced Nike. It's Nikea in the Greek anyway. At least that's what they tell me. It's uh, Nike. Listen. Is there evidence of salvation that you've been born again? 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, By this we know, gnosko. How many times has he said that in this book? By this we know. It's like a prosecutor. It's like somebody saying, By this we know. Here is the evidence, Your Honor. By this we know because we have people that are testifying that they were there on the 7th of May at 9 o'clock, and that's when it happened. By this we know there's evidence, there's testimony that the Spirit is alive in your life and not being quenched because of our own desires. Now listen, it doesn't say by this we know perfection. Because, but where's our heart turned toward? Which direction are we moving in? Do we even care? I mean, think about it. Does it break your heart when you see Ukraine? 
being bombed by Russia? Now, does it break your heart because of war? Does it break your heart because people are dying and they're going to go to hell? See, there's two different thoughts there. The world is creating the war on purpose to get rid of population because of their government that they want to bring up and ignore God. And we get mad because they're having war instead of souls dying. See, in the spirit, those are souls that are dying. Those are people that Jesus died for. Does it break your heart when the people sitting next to you get a divorce? Does it break your heart when you see people in sin and they're not getting it? See, because it breaks God's heart. So much so that he came down and died for it. And he wanted people to be right with him. He wanted people to listen to his instruction. He wanted people to look to him. Not to the implements. He wants them to look to him and worship him and know that because he loved us, we can love him. We can love others. We can have the authoritative prescription, which is what? What did he say to the rich man? Oh, no, no, it wasn't the rich man. It was the lawyer that come and said, what's the greatest commandment? Think how smart he thought he was. Think about this for a minute. How smart did that lawyer think he was when he said to Jesus, oh, good teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you're falling short, young man. You think you're a lawyer. And you don't even realize that it's just one commandment. But if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're automatically going to love your neighbor as yourself. They go together. They're the two greatest. All of the, all of the law hang on these two. See, man's got it all figured out. And we just say, oh, I'm just going to love God. I'm going to ignore people. That's what we do in the flesh. But God says, no, if I loved you, then you should love others. And this is the evidence that you love others because you're concerned with them. You get outside yourself. You go take care of them. You reach out to them. You give witness to them. You're worried about them because that's why God came. There was, we didn't even know we were lost. Oh, man, you shouldn't go door to door telling people about Jesus. You shouldn't stand in the street corner and tell people about Jesus. You shouldn't speak up and interrupt everybody's conscience in the middle of a room and talk about Jesus. Really? Isn't that what God did when he interrupted life and, sp and spoke out of darkness? People going about their own, and they didn't even know they were lost. They're going about their own business, and the very plan of salvation speaks into darkness. And people will tell us to go into a room and just mind your own business and do your work and don't say nothing about Jesus. Not me. Not me. And you can fire me. You can throw me in jail. You can do whatever you want. You didn't give me the witness. You didn't give me the spirit. You didn't give me salvation, so you can't take it away from me. It's just that simple. Well, you can't just walk up with no relationship and tell people about God. Why not? Jesus stepped right in with no relationship. Nobody believed in him. They were worshiping Nantashu or whatever that thing is, some bronze serpent. They were worshiping idols. They weren't worshiping God. There was a remnant, small one. Don't want to leave you that. There's always a remnant. Who are you worshiping? Are you born again? Is there evidence? By this we know, Gnosko, that we love the children of God. How do you know? It all works together. It's all evidences that ties everything together in this strand when we love God and keep his commandments. What? Wait a minute now. What is this? If I believe that Jesus is God's provision, 
then I should, here's evidence, I should, I should love those who he also begot, his other children. And then how do I know if I'm loving his other children? Is when I keep his commandments. See, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, you're going to be having a heart to obey, a heart toward obedience, a heart toward standing and walking in and going out and being a witness of. You're not in perfection, but you have your identity in Christ. You have your position in Christ. You have your place in Christ. And then you have a practical walk of faith in Christ. But are you trying to keep? Keep is the word. Ooh, to guard, to watch for, to keep from loss or injury properly by keeping an eye on it, to hold fast, to preserve. Are you trying to preserve his commandments, which are the authoritative prescription for the souls of lost people, which is something that you do in a consistency or a constancy if you're truly walking by faith? Are you trying to guard that, protect that? Fight for that word to be taught and spoken about? Listen, I'm just telling you what John's saying. This is a a little bitty tiny book, letter of a testimony of what it looks like, the evidence in a person's life who's walking in the Spirit, doing the will of God, who's actually truly believing that they're born of God. So much different than what's presented in the church today. where God will give you power to live the American dream. God will give you power not to suffer. And if you send $1,000 to our ministry, God will give it to you because whatever you sow, you'll reap. Where is all that from? It's from the devil. But it feeds to the flesh, so we like it. So thus, we don't read the Word of God, we don't pray, we don't fellowship, because we can keep doing what we're doing and think we're okay and be deceived into hell and ignore the voice of God. His commandments, they're not burdensome. Or verse 3, for this is the love of God, agape love, that we guard, keep, preserve Keep them from being damaged, his commandments, his authoritative prescription, and his commandments are not burdensome. Not grievous is the King James. It's not hard to do. They're not heavy, is what. They've already been kept by Jesus perfectly for you. Then he gave you his word, he gave you his spirit, he gave you new life, he gave you everything you need for life and godliness. And all you have to do is take his yoke. It's Matthew 11. I would quote it, but if I do, I'll probably mess it up. So it's a Matthew 11. We'll just go there. Eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy, laden and i will give you rest be married to me take my yoke upon you and learn be discipled from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls your mind will and emotions your mind will be transformed your desires will be changed for my yoke is easy and my burden is light he does all the carrying. Now, this is discipleship and the picture of discipleship is two oxen and what you do is you take an oxen that has been doing 
threshing the grain and, and pushing the wheel to crush the grain for years. And you take a newborn ox, born again ox, and you yoke them together in the same yoke. And then they walk in the same footsteps as the older ox. Now really, see, that the, the young ox, the newborn again ox, doesn't know it, but he's got nothing but just a yoke on him. All the work is being done by the older ox. All the power is the older ox. All they're doing is being trained to walk by faith around in circles. Now, what they would do then, though, that they would lightly change the weight and they'd slowly change it to where the younger ox was actually doing more work. He was growing in it. He was learning to do it. And then they could unshackle him and put them both with two more younger oxen and do the same thing all over again. Jesus does it all for us. He's already done it positionally. Practically, he just wants you to walk with him, be led by his spirit, follow along and, and follow his pattern and tell others, speak in the darkness words of life. And, then, and love others as he loved us. That's what he says in John 13, right? Let's look there for a minute. Oh, my goodness. We're, gonna, we're getting into this. We're getting into this. Bible sword drills. John 13, 34. A new commandment, a new authoritative prescription I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why? By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you have the Spirit of God, you're going to love others because the Spirit of God is in you. And then other people will say, wow, look at those people love on one another. Look at them take care of one another. Look at them be concerned with one another. They're not chasing the American dream like everybody else. They're chasing God. And then they go, man, that's his disciples for real. They really are learning from God. And they'll know us by our love for one another. Listen, it's really easy. Let's look back in Matthew again at chapter 5, verse 43. Sermon on the Mount. If you're in Luke, it's the Sermon on the Level. Matthew 5, 43. Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray, there we got it again, for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine, arise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors drags the society. And if you then, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the place of your completion. See, positionally, we're already perfect. We're seated in heavenly places. Practically, we're having our minds renewed. Practically, we're being sent. Practically, our mind, will, and emotions are being sanctified by the love of God that's been poured out abroad upon us. And then we take that love to others that we love one another first, especially the household of faith. And then we take it out to others. And it's not just those that, that treat us good. I get so mad. You know what? I'm one of them people that just get mad. If we make eye contact and I go, how you doing? And you ignore me, I get mad. I, I get vexed in my spirit. I'm like, what? 
What do you think you are that you can't say hi to me? Now, you might not like that, but you know, you're in the country and you're driving around in a rural area. People just go, everybody waves. We're losing it, though, because we're becoming selfish. I'm not concerned with them. If I enter into the fray of their life, they might get mad. And that's the way you keep forcing everybody out, marginalizing people, making them of no account. But God died for people. God died for souls. God died to bring relationship back. Relationship is in the center of the gospel. And that has to be only done by love because I'm telling you right now, if you're around me long, you probably won't like me. But if you got God's agape love, you can love me. And it's the same for you and Christians in Texas and wherever you go. We're stinking sinful flesh that has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And most of us got characteristics that people don't like. It's just true. But you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to scream and yell as I've seen some people do. That's who I am. I can't change. Well, that's against the gospel. I mean, we're commanded many commandments by God. Be renewed. Be transformed. It's God that doesn't change. He died to change us into His image. If you stomp your feet and say you can't change, you're calling God a liar. What you're saying is, is I choose not to. And you're saying no to God. Now, that doesn't mean you're kicked out of heaven. You might just be saying no to God in that area of your life. But when you begin to have a heart that says no to God, it'll spread and kill. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. It'll spread, and pretty soon you'll be saying no to God in everything that you do. And God never done nothing for me. Look how he let my life fall apart. No, you let it fall apart by ignoring God. God came down and died for you. And he put his spirit in you. And it's really easy to love people that are in your own family or are nice to you. You can just casually say, love you. I said that to my mechanic one time. He freaked out. Because I say it all the time, especially when I'm on the phone. All right, love you. And I hang up. And I said to my mechanic, all right, love you. He's like, what? <laughs> I was laughing my butt off. I said, yeah, I love you, Tom. I'm praying for you. Are you looking in your heart saying, Holy Spirit, give me the power, give me the strength, give me the ability to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, to walk out my gifting and to obey God, to turn my heart toward obeying his commandments, his authoritative prescription? Because if you don't look to God for his authoritative prescription, you'll follow somebody else's alchemy, their pharmacy, their lies. You'll look to other people for help. And when you turn to others for help, you're turning away from God and what he's already provided as a provision. And you begin to worship the bronze thing. And you begin to think you're okay without a relationship. And this is all about a relationship, a personal love relationship, a marriage. You know how divorce happens? People are trusting in other things. Instead of becoming one, like our marriage to God, we become one, the two become one. And he's the head. We're the wife. 
He's the one in authority. He has the one that has perfection. He proved it through his resurrection when he lived the perfect life. Why would we not listen to perfection? Why would we not listen to one who would lay down their life for us? That's why I tell people all the time, if you lay down your life for your wife, she'll follow you to the end of the earth. If you do it in a biblical way and lay down your life and serve your wife, she'll follow you to the end of the earth. You live your little selfish life chasing the golf ball on the golf course all day long. You live your little selfish life and keep things compartmentalized and keep her out. You don't spend any time talking with her, praying. You don't spend any time. Then are you really married? Or are you just two adult people living in the same house that said, I will, and you don't? See, it's the same thing with salvation. You say, I will. You say, I believe. But then you don't because you're not keeping the commandments of what it means to be married to God. So are you really married? It's a relationship, and he's already given everything. It's not burdensome. He carries us. He gave us all power, all authority, all might, and sent us. He's already completed us us positionally, but practically he's just saying, follow me. It's a growing faith. A practical walk. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God, spiritual birth, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Once again, if it's not done by faith, it's sin. Our faith, pistis, confident trust in Christ for salvation, deliverance from a sin nature, and a constancy in it. See, it's not a one-time, I believe, a one-time prayer. We can go back over this over and over again, but when you look at the Word, it means that there's a continuance. Even in this chapter, chapter 5, he's going to talk about continuance. 5.13, what does he say? Look at your Bible, 5.13. We're going to get to it. These things I have written to you who believe, pistis, in the name, the character, nature, and authority of the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the Messiah of God, that you may know, grow, learn, Uh, uh, understand that you have eternal life. There it is, finished. No, the scripture goes on. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Different, two different words used there. One is believe, the starting line. The other one is a continuation, finish line. It's not a one-time deal. It's a life that comes underneath the authority, listens to the instruction of, and dies to self and is corrected and is being perfected because we're saved by grace through faith that not of yourself it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast but you are his workmanship poema it's works in progress he's working on us created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them walk in them how by faith not by sight by faith it's a promise from God, the good hands people, the real ones that put his hands out and died for us. And we're in his hands. If we believe and continue, he can get us across the finish line. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be lots of things that go on in this path, this journey, in this relationship. But guess what? If you keep looking to him, the author and the finisher of your faith, 
He's promised to get you to the other side. Don't start worshiping the cross. Worship God. Serve Him, and only Him shall you serve. You know how Jesus answered the devil in Matthew 4? It is written, He's not worthless bread. He's the greatest gift ever given to mankind, and yet we don't open it. We just proclaim that we believe because we were born in America, and we go on living atheist lives that have no word, prayer, and fellowship in them, no surrender, no sanctification, no practical application in life, and we think we're okay and we're going to heaven. I've told you a million times, try that with a job. Just go there, do the interview. Yeah, nice resume, huh? Get hired and then never show up and expect a paycheck. Just try it in a simple thing in life. It doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in a job. It doesn't work in anything. You've got to come and finish. We like to think we don't have to do anything. That's what they make us lazy. And if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. My grandson didn't like that yesterday. You got to teach him. You train him in the way that they're supposed to go. Yesterday, he come in, and him and Addie come in for their allowance money for working in the barn. And Addie got her allowance money, and I said, I'm sorry, buddy, you don't get any. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. You want to give to your grandkids. I said, buddy, I've been telling you for the last two weeks, you've got to help me. You were helping me, and you quit helping me. Now you go out there and just play. All you do is climb the ladder and yell, Grandpa, Papa, eggs, eggs. And, and, and then you run back and forth and you don't do anything. I so said, I told you, you got to do your work or I'm not going to give you no money. And I'm telling you, it broke my heart. Toward, toward the inside, it, it hurt me. I know more than him because he already had some money from his birthday. So he didn't get that punishment for too long, but he was mad. He said, I don't want that money. I want money from Papa. Are you that way with your love for God? I don't want what the world has to offer. I want what my daddy in heaven has. I want what my father has. You know what? Last night when we went to the barn, it was so amazing. I was, it, was, it was just everything that he did just to work because he understood the concept. If he doesn't work in the barn, he's not going to get no allowance money. And then it was so funny because he forgot to do the very thing that he always done. The final latch he always puts on as we're going out of the barn now, last night, he did all of this great work, but he didn't do what he normally does. That's a, that's a picture of us. Stop doing what you normally do and begin to do what you're called to do because you know you're going to get a reward for it. Do what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's, it's not God's will that any would perish. I mean, he's love. He doesn't want to punish, but because he's a just God, he's going to punish those who reject this great salvation, who reject the plan of continuing in a constancy. We are going through. You're overcomers. Nakay. Really, that's what that word means. It means victory. Listen to me. Let's get to this and get out of this, move on from this and get to some food. His command is not burdensome. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What's the world? Now listen, because see the world, if you look that up, it's cosmos, and it means this orderly design, the decoration of God. But it's in a fallen sense here. 
It's still God's orderly design. It's God's decorative planet and cosmos, the world. But it really stands for here, the system or systems that are diametrically opposed to God. And that's what we're in down here as we're behind enemy lines. I mean, I don't know if you guys seen that. Did you guys see the, the text that they said in Ukraine, they're pleading with NATO to cover the air and they can win on foot. Listen, Jesus has got the air. You should be able to win on foot because he has defeated the spiritual realm. He's got the air. It's taken care of if you listen to what he's saying. And then you should be able to walk this out and win the war and stand in the victory, as Ephesians 6 says, having done all to stand. That means to abide, continue, and remain in the love of God. He's got the air. He can see all of the spiritual realm. You can't, so we have to do it by faith. You can see the evidences. You can see when somebody says they're a Christian and the evidence is, is that they're not, you don't want to follow that. Because if you follow that, it's going to destroy you. You want to be around people that are in the Word, prayer, and fellowship. There's such joy in talking about the Bible, talking about the things God's are doing. Or you can spend your time with your face in a TV talking about what the devil's destroying. And there ain't no joy in that. It'll become loathsome and burdensome. Listen, they're all in the same place. His commandment is not burdensome. It's an authoritative prescription for life and godliness. And if you're born of God and you believe this, you've already got the victory. And the Spirit of God is in you and seals you. And then He begins to guide you and lead you and teach you and wash you and cleanse you. And He's taking you to the other side. And you can trust in that power because He's got all power and all authority. It's been given to him in heaven and, and, and on earth to go and teach others this with confidence and be a witness of it. Part of being a witness is saying, I blew that. Part of being a witness is saying, I didn't get that right. I'm sorry. I'm apologizing. Look at the witness we just got from Numbers 21. What was the witness? They were loathsome. They hated that bread. And then they go, wait a minute, we're repenting because we were convicted. There's the witness. There's the testimony of the word of God, the examples of what we should do. Repent and turn and change our mind and agree with God because we stand in victory. We don't fight for victory. It's already ours. That's what the second word was there. It's The first one was what we call Nike or Nikkei. And the second one is N-I-K-A-O, which is Nikio. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What overcomes the lies of this world? The system that is diametrically opposed to God. Faith. Once again, you're saved by grace through faith. And when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. There's evidences of being born again. There's evidences that you're, and you don't want to follow this world. We're being saved from this world. And the church don't seem to get that. We're being saved from these systems that are diametrically opposed to God. We're being saved from this power struggle. We're being saved from these, this flesh. And yet the church follows it. So I'm a Christian. You're following the world. How can you be a Christian? So he repeats it. 
Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you've got the victory, you continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He became a man, but he was the Son of God, the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Have you received him? Have you accepted his word? Have you overcome? Do you have the victory? All you have to do is stand in it and let him do the work. Turn your heart toward home as the prodigal son did. And the father will run to you. And put a new garment on you. Put the signet ring on your hand. He'll make his word known to you. Remember, that's our first one in our lessons of instruction. Proverbs 1.23. Turn at my rebuke, and I will pour my spirit out upon you. I will make my words known to you. You'll be able to hear the voice of God. You'll be able to follow God if you turn. But it's a series of turning. You keep turning. He's continuing to correct and perfect you until the day of Christ Jesus. So I Googled overcomes. You guys want to we'll just go there. I Googled it. I li- or excuse me, I blue letter Bibled it. I didn't Google it. I don't Google. Um, I don't Google. It's used 20 times in the Bible. It's actually used 14 times in the New Testament. And of those 14 times, eight, uh, eight of them are John. He's, it's, it's, not a, it's not a very used word for something that, that what we should be seeing. The victory is in Christ. The victory is in looking to the author and finisher of our faith. Anyway, and it's back in Numbers again. And, and we call it uh, maybe the law of first usages. The law of, you know, and that's where you get the origins of a word. Now, it's, it's used in a different way. Like five times in Genesis, but it's not the word overcome. Translated something else. But the first time it's used as overcome is in Numbers 13. Now, if you remember Numbers 12, they had rebelled against Moses again. They When they get into Kadesh Barnea, they're going through the wilderness. And then... In chapter 13, they sent out the 12 spies. Want to know how many days they were gone? <laughs> 40 days, judgment. And, 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 and their faith is being judged. 40 days, these, 10, these 12 spies go into the land, the valley of Eshkol. And remember, they come back with one pole carrying a cluster of grapes. The fruit is great. Everything's there, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's been promised to them. It's been given to them. All they have to do is go in and take it. So they're at the Valley of Decision, Kadesh Barnea. That's what it means, Valley of Decision. This is a decision of your faith every day. Am I going to walk by faith following the author and the finisher of my faith who sent me his spirit to lead me, or am I going to continue following the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. In verse 30, 1330, listen to this. Because the ten said, oh, we can't go in. There's giants in the land. Listen to me. They're looking by sight. Faith is not sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Faith is confident trust in God. Faith is believing His voice and His word and His leading no matter what you see. And Caleb, if you remember, if you know your Bible, Caleb and Joshua is the only two that ends up going in 40 years later because God judges their sin and leaves everybody except for those 20 and under in the wilderness to die, traveling around that same mountain that burned and quaked, and they were afraid to go near it. We talked about that in Hebrews, didn't we, a couple weeks ago or last week maybe. Listen, verse 30. It wasn't just that Caleb spoke up. He quieted the people. Let's look at this. He quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they have children, and they, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in, the, in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight now i don't know if you know but i just read you a picture of death culture in the culture today i just read you a picture of why people don't speak up because they're afraid they're going to get canceled they have no faith in god they have no faith in the invisible god they have no faith in the spirit of god and the salvation of god and the promises of god and that's the world killing them if they speak up they're going to kill them the great men. Look what they're afraid of. They're afraid of the men of stature. They're afraid of the giants. They're afraid of these, these people that say they have an intellect, but they're following earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom instead of by faith following God and taking what God has given them and trusting God. Devours its inhabitants? Is that death culture? Say something and we will cancel you. If you don't agree with our narrative, we will cancel you. Now listen to me. This is a very important to understand. They wouldn't go up. They listened to bad witnesses and they didn't go up. And then they realized that they had made a mistake and they tried to repent. And a bunch of them got killed. And God said, it's too late. Today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to walk by faith and to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and understand your identity, that you're overcomers, that you have the victory if you're in Christ. You're a child of God and you have the spirit of God in you and he loved you so much that he died for you. And if that spirit's in you, you should start loving others, not living the same way we've always lived, not chasing self and the American dream. There's evidences of true faith. Evidences of a life for God. Put yourself on trial today. And at very least be challenged. Renewed in your strength. Take courage. And follow the Holy Spirit with reckless abandon. 
and be the children of God that would take up the possessions that God has given us and not allow the devil to come into our camp and take what God gave us. Are you ready for him to come? If he came tomorrow, would you be ready? If there's anything in your life that you need to change to be ready for him tomorrow, then you should already be doing it. Repent of it. Trust in him. It's a perfect salvation from a perfect God. He doesn't want you to guess and wonder and worry. These things I have written to you that you might believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may continue to believe. You may know that you have eternal salvation and continue to believe in the Son of God. See, see how there's two bookends there? You believe and then you continue to believe. But in the middle of that, you come to know. We're going to get to it. Give me time. We're going to get to it. Caleb goes in with Joshua. Caleb's 80 years old when he goes in. And you would think, 80 years old? Are you kidding me? Can I just rest over here? He said, no, give me that mountain. He took the hardest mountain to take at 80 years old. The hardest mountain to take. What was it, Horeb? Somebody know? Mount Horeb? Anybody remember? He took the hardest one where all the enemy could hide. He said, give me that mountain. Wish I could remember. My brain's not getting it. I better pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mustard seed of faith that you've given us, Lord. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we pray that you would give us a desire to have our minds renewed. Give us a desire, Lord, to change our minds, our desires. Give us a desire, Lord, to be led by your spirit. Renew our faith today, Lord. To follow you. Encourage us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for such a great salvation. Give us eyes to see what you would say to the church today and help us to go out in love, not just to one another as we celebrate with communion and a pitch in dinner, but to those that are hard to love, Lord, to our enemies, that we would be able to pray for those that are deceived. And we pray that their eyes would open and they would come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. And the blood that you spilled for them would not be wasted or trampled underfoot. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall